Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at RestoreAustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. Over the last few weeks, I've seen a concerning number of people claiming that coronavirus is a judgment from God. Now, in the age of social distancing and sheltering in place and self-quarantine, where most of us have more time than ever to be on social media or watch the news, I bet a lot of you have seen this claim too. Now, if you were here with us last Sunday, you know that we've started this live question and answer time every week. As I sit here right now, we are live on Sunday morning with you. And people can put questions in the comment section or send them to us privately And as I've been getting questions and our church has been getting questions about coronavirus and about how God relates to that over the last month, by far the most common question we've gotten is, is coronavirus a judgment from God? In fact, it was a question that we answered last Sunday, but we only did it for a minute and I was surprised at how we continued to get it. And that's because this claim is everywhere From megachurch billboards to Facebook memes, a frighteningly large and growing number of people are propagating the idea that coronavirus is a judgment from God. Now, some of these claims, honestly, they're they're easily debunked or they're just kind of insane in and of themselves and they're easy to look at and say that's ridiculous, but some of them are actually quite compelling for many people. And I wanna read one of the more persuasive ones to you all that I pulled off Facebook earlier this week. It says this, In three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. God has said, you want to worship athletes? I will shut down the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I will shut down civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down theaters. You want to worship money? I'll shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I'll make it where you can't go to church at all. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. He says, maybe we don't need a vaccine. Maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that really matters. That's Jesus. In that one post, there's a Bible verse. There's a call for us to put God first in our lives, and there's a focus on Jesus. That's persuasive. It's compelling. But the most compelling lies are always mixed with a little bit of truth. You see, the question of, is coronavirus a judgment from God? It's a question worth asking, but so much more importantly, this is a question worth answering directly and biblically and truthfully. I'm not going to make you wait until the end of this teaching time to get the answer because God forbid something happens like the stream goes down or it starts buffering or your kids start screaming and you don't get to see the rest of this. So is coronavirus a judgment from God? The answer is no. Unequivocally and undoubtedly coronavirus is not a judgment from God. In fact, I believe attributing the coronavirus, or anything else that causes death and destruction to God is not only wrong, I think it's evil. 
Let's start with thinking about this logically for just a second. I'm going to use some if-then statements that are common in the world of logic. Here we go. If coronavirus is a judgment from God, then he is especially angry at the most vulnerable people in our society, the elderly, the sick, the the immunocompromised who are getting this much worse than anyone else. Another one. If coronavirus is a judgment from God, then he isn't just closing stadiums and movie theaters, he's closing schools and churches and charities too. You may have read that during the last few weeks, we've seen huge spikes in domestic abuse and child abuse as people are forced to stay at home in unsafe places. So if God sent the coronavirus, then he isn't just sending people home to have Sabbath rest, he's also knowingly sending people into the arms of their abusers. You may have seen that there were more unemployment requests last week than at any other time in the history of our country. So if God sent the coronavirus, then he wanted to cause millions of people living paycheck to paycheck to lose their jobs. He wanted to cripple the economy so severely that churches and nonprofits and businesses all over the world who literally exist to show people the love of Jesus can no longer do that. Lastly, as of this morning, Over 30,000 people around the world have died because of coronavirus. If you believe God sent coronavirus, then you believe in a God who would purposefully kill 30,000 people and will kill countless more as this continues to spread. If you believe in a God that would do that, you and I simply do not believe in the same God. And I would go as far as to say, I don't think you believe in the God revealed to us in the Bible through the person of Jesus Christ. And over the next few minutes, I'm gonna tell you why that is. Not by using philosophy or science or medicine, I'll leave that for people a lot smarter than me. I'm gonna tell you why it's evil to attribute coronavirus to God by looking at the truth presented to us in scripture. So here we go. Over the last few weeks, We've been in this teaching series called, What is Love? And during this series, we've been working through the characteristics of true love from chapter 13 of the New Testament letter, 1 Corinthians. We've been doing this because when Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing in the world? He said, love. Love God and love others. So if we want to understand what true love, what what Jesus love really looks like, the love God has for humanity and the love that we are supposed to have for God and each other, there's no better place to study than 1 Corinthians 13. Here's how it describes love like this. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I've highlighted love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth because that is the characteristic that we are focusing in on today. Now in this phrase, evil and truth are presented as opposites, which is kind of fascinating, isn't it? Because when we think of the opposite of evil, we don't think of truth. What do we think of? Good, right? Good is the opposite of evil. The battle between good and evil quite literally has been the central plot point of almost every story since the beginning of time. 
Even in the year 2020, we might dress it up with special effects, but the majority of our stories are still centered around this conflict between good and evil. This happens in the Bible too. The climax of the biblical story is God coming to earth as Jesus and waging war against evil. And evil then seemingly conquers good as Jesus dies on the cross, but then comes the big plot twist, right? Jesus rises from the dead and good defeats evil once and for all. Good and evil usually go together, but not in this passage. Because in this passage, the author is doing something different. He's not contrasting good and evil. He's contrasting evil and truth. Now, this letter, like the rest of the New Testament, was originally written in Greek. And it's important to note here that the Greek word for truth is not a synonym for good. He's not just saying good versus evil in a different way. He's contrasting something different when he says evil and truth. In fact, this Greek word is used over 100 times in the New Testament alone, and not once is it translated good. Moreover, it's actually one of those rare words that is translated the exact same way Every single time it's used, it is always translated truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, two questions emerge from this verse. Number one, what is the evil lie that love rejects? And number two, what is the truth that love embraces? So we're just going to look at those two with the rest of our time together. First, what is this evil lie? It is simply this. God doesn't really love you. That's the lie. God doesn't really love you. And if you think about it, it's the oldest lie in history. The world God created in Genesis 1 and 2 is true perfection, right? It's this place defined by something the Bible calls shalom. And shalom is this Hebrew word that we translate as peace, but it's it's so much more than just the absence of conflict. Shalom is perfect, abundant goodness for everything and between everything. Shalom is God, humanity, and creation, all experiencing perfect abundance themselves and working for the perfect abundance of each other. This is how God designed his world, our world. But in Genesis 3, this shalom-filled world encounters a problem. We are introduced to a serpent, At this point, we don't know much about the serpent, but later in the Bible story, he's said to be Satan himself. To put it another way, this serpent is evil embodied, evil inside of something. But in Genesis 3, we see this serpent causing a really significant issue. This serpent approaches Adam and Eve, the very first humans who also represent all of us, all of humanity, and he tells them that they should do the one thing that God has told them not to do eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Like I said before, the most compelling lies are always mixed with a little bit of truth. See, because the serpent is right. On one hand, Adam and Eve will experience good and evil if they eat from that tree but that experience will be more catastrophic for them and for God's shalom-filled world than they could ever imagine. Because you see, God forbidding the tree is much more than him not wanting Adam and Eve to know what evil is. He wants to prevent them from experiencing what evil is like and the effects that it brings. Forbidding this tree is God the Father telling his children, I do not want you to live in a world where you have to experience evil and brokenness. 
Satan knows all of this. But evil embodied wants to infect God's world with pain and destruction and death. And he knows the perfect way to do it is to convince Adam and Eve of the lie that God doesn't really love them, that he's holding out on them, that he's not worth trusting. And now Adam and Eve are faced with a decision. Do they look around at the shalom-filled world God made and trust that he really does love them? Or do they believe the lie that he doesn't? Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It's amazing that something so momentous is so abrupt. They believe the lie, they turn their backs on the love of God and everything changes. The shalom-filled relationships between God, humanity, and creation are broken. Evil embodied now has this foothold and he begins to infect the world with pain and suffering and death. You see, the Bible says that evil embodied has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That it has been a murderer from the beginning and it has nothing to do with the truth that it prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That evil embodied is the same one that was crouching at Cain's door, pushing him, baiting him to murder his brother Abel. It's the same one that whispered in Pharaoh's ear to murder the Israelite children in Egypt. The very same one that has ushered in pain and death that we deal with each and every day of our lives here in this broken world, including pandemics like coronavirus. In her book, The Very Good Gospel, Lisa Sharon Harper channels God's anguish as his kids choose to believe the lie that he doesn't love them and inadvertently usher evil and its effects into our world. Here's what she says. God earnestly says, don't do it. I want you to live life to the full. I want you and your children and your children's children to know shalom. I want you to know my love. I want you to know a good, lush, and lavish world, a world where all relationships are interconnected and work for the good of all, a world without human exploitation and slavery, without droughts, without disease, without broken families, without domestic violence, without eating disorders, without rape, without war, without glass ceilings, without ethnic enmity, without structural racism, national racism, and any other ism. That's the world that he wanted for us. But tragically, the broken world she describes is the broken world that we inhabit. Not because it was God's design, quite the opposite not because he's chosen to inflict this pain on us out of judgment, quite the opposite. Our world is this way because humanity bought into the evil lie that says God doesn't really love us. We bought into it back in the Garden of Eden and for some inexplicable reason, we continue buying into it today. It's not just the oldest lie in history, it's actually the lie beneath all other lies. Saying that coronavirus is a judgment from God is just the latest iteration of it. This lie was invented by evil embodied to bring death and destruction into God's shalom-filled world. It was an evil lie then and it is an evil lie now. So let me say this as directly as I can. Spreading the lie 
that God doesn't really love humanity is evil. Spreading the lie that God sent this pandemic out of judgment to hurt and murder humanity is evil. And perverting the love of God by saying that he sent the coronavirus because he loves us, that's evil too. Now hear me. I'm not saying that the people spreading these lies are evil. This is very important. But I am absolutely saying that anyone who spreads these lies, knowingly or unknowingly, is partnering with evil embodied to bring death and destruction, to steal, kill, and destroy God's design for our world. It is the opposite of what Jesus was said, said was most important. It is the opposite of love because you see, love does not spread lies about the love of God. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. So what is this truth? That's the lie. What is this truth that makes love rejoice? It is this. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. That's the truth. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you so much that he put on flesh as Jesus Christ left the perfection of heaven, came to the brokenness of earth. In John's account of Jesus' life, he says it like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In him was not death, in him was life. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. In him was light, not darkness. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Listen, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is so vitally important. Jesus has revealed God to us. No one knew what God was fully like before, but now, now Jesus has revealed him to us. When God wanted to reveal himself fully to the world he created, he didn't write a book. He became a person in Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God with skin on. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. And because Jesus is the fullest picture we have of who God is and how God loves, Jesus is the filter through which we interpret every other incomplete image of God found in the Bible or anywhere else. Jesus is the lens through which we see everything else. Here's another way to say it. If there is a partial portrait of God in the Bible that seemingly contradicts the fullness of God revealed to us in Jesus, we interpret the partial portrait through the lens of the fullness of God in Christ. I love how Pastor Brian Zahn puts it. He says, Jesus is the true and living word of God. Jesus is what the law and the prophets point toward and bow to. Jesus is what the Old Testament was trying to say, but could never fully articulate. Jesus is the perfect word of God in the form of a human life. God couldn't say all he wanted to say in the form of a book, so he said it in the form of Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say. I love that so much. Jesus is what God has to say. 
Jesus is the proclamation of the truth that God loves us and the condemnation of the lie that he doesn't. Jesus loves us so much that he didn't just come to earth to, to empathize with our pain. He actually spent his life reversing the effects of evil because he hated how much it was hurting us. Read the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus doesn't spend his life punishing sinners or condemning people who are stepping out of line or bringing violence against the disobedient. Jesus spends his life battling against evil embodied, not humanity. He spent his life reversing the suffering caused by evil, not adding to it. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He partied with prostitutes and thieves. He cast out demons. He fed the hungry. He elevated the marginalized. He set people free from slavery and he forgave sins. And then when the most powerful people in the world turned against him and started trying to murder him, he didn't raise up an army to overthrow the government. He didn't call down angels to kill the people who were trying to kill him. Jesus is God. He could have snapped his fingers and caused everyone against him to fall over dead, but he didn't do any of that. You know what he did? He laid his life down on the cross and not just for the people who loved him. He laid his life down on the cross for the people that hated him too. He didn't just die for the ones trying to save him. He died to save the ones who nailed him to the cross. Because God isn't in the business of killing people. He's in the business of dying for them. God is not in the business of killing people. He is in the business of dying for them. That is what makes this claim that coronavirus is a judgment from God so insane. God doesn't deal with sinners and sin by killing them. He dealt with sin and sinners by dying for them. Jesus said, it is the thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. It's the enemy, evil embodied that kills and destroys. Jesus brings life and peace. The good shepherd doesn't kill his sheep. He lays his life down for his sheep. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. And then after three days, Jesus rose from the grave. He overcame evil with love. He overcame that lie with the truth. He overcame death with life. And now Jesus offers you and me and everyone else his life. That same life that was resurrected, that same life that overcame evil and death, he gives it freely to me and to you. If you have a distorted picture of who God is and how God loves because of some misinterpreted Old Testament stories, I am so, so sorry. That is not your fault. And honestly, it's not even completely the fault of the person who taught it to you. It is ultimately the fault of evil embodied who has been spreading this lie about who God is and how God loves from the very beginning. Because Jesus, my friends, Jesus is who God is. And Jesus shows us how God loves. Our God is a good father. 
whose heart breaks for his children when he sees them hurting. He's a perfect savior who rescues us from our own sin and the sin of the world. And this is true of you, no matter who you are or what you've done. This is the absolute scandal of God's love. Listen to me. If you are someone who has participated with evil embodied by spreading the lie that God doesn't love everyone, he still loves you. He still died for you. Even on your worst day, he would die for you again. One of Jesus' best friends, a guy named John, wrote the clearest and most concise explanation of God's love in the New Testament. Here's what he says. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Doesn't say that God showed his love among us by sending a pandemic because he was angry. It doesn't say that God showed his love among us by sending coronavirus as a judgment to wipe out 30,000 plus people. No, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent Jesus into the world that we might live through him. The fullness of God came to us in Jesus Christ so that we may have life and have it abundantly. That's what true love is. We don't get to make up a definition for it. It's right there in front of us. Love that brings death and destruction is no love at all. And if it's not love, it's not God because God is love. The coronavirus is not a divine punishment. It's not a judgment from God. God didn't send it. In fact, God hates it. God hates it because he hates the pain and destruction and death that it's bringing because he is a good father who loves his kids and anything that hurts his kids hurts him. And because he is a good father who loves you and who hates the pain that coronavirus is causing, God is at work right now to bring peace and hope and restoration even in the midst of this crisis. So turn to him, trust him, find help from him during this uncertain time. Even if you are practicing social distancing, even if you are quarantined, you are not alone. God is with you. If you're watching this right now and you need help, God wants to give it to you. He wants to help with anything you need. Everything from giving you his peaceful presence to meeting tangible needs through the support of his church. We are, are literally just one of millions of church families around the world who are here to help in this moment. We've got pastors ready to pray with you and talk with you. We've set up restoreaustin.org help for people to request any kind of support and help that they need. I am so proud of how our church family is responding to this crisis, but I am not saying that to pat us on the back because it's not us. It is the love that God has for humanity through us. It is the love that God has for you, a love that is greater than you could ever imagine through the church. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now or what exactly it's going to look like, but I know God wants to help because the truth is he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Like 1 Corinthians 13 says, God loves us with a love that is patient and kind. He loves us with a love that doesn't envy or boast. He loves us with a love that isn't prideful or dishonoring 
or self-seeking. He loves us with a love that isn't easily angered. God doesn't pop off and throw down lightning bolts when he's upset or pandemics when he gets angry. It's a love that isn't easily angered. He loves us with a love that keeps no record of wrongs. God isn't up in heaven keeping track of all our sins. When we hit some magical tipping point, he starts killing people. He doesn't deal with sin and sinners by killing them. He dealt with sin and sinners by dying for them. He loves us with a love that does not delight in evil or the lies that evil tells, but a love that rejoices with the truth that God really, really loves us. And it's a love that always protects, never harms, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and never, ever fails. This is who God is. This is how God loves. Anything else is a lie. And I believe that lie is evil. When you understand the depths of God's love for us, a question like, is coronavirus a judgment from God becomes really easy to answer. Our God, who is love, who loves us with a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, would never send a global pandemic to punish and kill his kids. God is weeping with us and working for us, even in the middle of these uncertain times because he loves us and nothing, nothing can separate us from that love. Listen to these beautiful words from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Y'all, our God is a good father who loves his kids. And that is exactly what we're going to sing about right now. This is a song called Good, Good Father. And I love this song so much because the first line is exactly what we've been talking about. It says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. I don't know what stories you've heard about who God is or what God is like. My heart absolutely breaks knowing that many of us have heard or maybe even told stories that led us to believe that our God who is love would send a pandemic as judgment. But listen, there may be a thousand different stories about what God is like, but there is only one truth, and that is that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Anything else is a lie. He is a good father. That's who he is and we are loved by him. That's who we are. So I want you to sing these words as Matt and Ashley lead us again. Rejoice in their truth. Now, if you aren't quite ready to sing these out loud or even believe them right now, that's okay. That doesn't make them any less true. So just take them in. Let them wash over you during this time. And if you've never experienced God's love before, Please 
Don't let another moment pass you by before you do. If you are ready to experience and embrace a love like this, send me an email, zach at restoreaustin.org. Send send our church a a direct message. Go to restoreaustin.org and fill out the connection card. We want to celebrate you. We want to help you take a next step because guys, no one should have to go through this life, especially our world the way it is right now without the love of God. So whatever it looks like for you, let's find hope in the truth of God's love together.